for coming tonight and uh, thank you for being willing to participate um, in uh, reading those verses at the appropriate time if you can just uh, get them ready and if you can quote them um, that's great um, how about we pray that's probably the best place to start so let's do that now let's pray Heavenly Father thank you uh, for the rain uh, thank you for the fact that it reminds us of your care for us um, summer and winter and sea time and harvest and day and night cold and heat all the seasons uh, the weather that you uh, send uh, is an evidence uh, of your um, gracious provision uh, for the earth and your hand upon us and uh, we just want to acknowledge that and uh, thank you for your goodness and grace thank you for blessing us in many ways thank you for giving us the scriptures and uh, we pray that uh, the word would be uh, instructive to us help us lord to uh, rightly divide the word of truth to uh, study uh, to show ourselves approved workmen and uh, lord for the work that uh, needs to be done we pray uh, lord that you might bless us uh, as we uh, seek to uh, labor for you um, help us to be good um, laborers together with god uh, we pray that we'd be uh, equipped uh, to uh, be fruitful uh, and productive uh, in your service I pray that tonight would be uh, helpful to that end and that we ask this in jesus name and for jesus sake amen okay well uh, for the for some time now we've been considering the ev evangelistic example of jesus but uh, tonight i would like to uh, do a bit of a shift and um hey elliot there's a sheet there grab it if, if you like um but besides the lord jesus there in your notes beside the lord jesus the next probably maybe the good word to include there the next outstanding example of an evangelist in the new testament uh, is the apostle paul evangelism was the heartbeat of his life by the end of his ministry the gospel had launched gentile churches throughout the roman empire and put practically every gentile convert could trace the gospel message they believe back to the preaching of paul it's quite incredible to consider the impact and the fruitfulness of the apostle paul uh, what made him so effective in evangelizing the lost well he was a he was obviously a very very gifted man a chosen vessel unto the lord however um, there are at least seven explanations for his effectiveness here in the scriptures and so uh, again this is being going to be for our benefit uh, and instruction and help uh, this evening just covering them briefly first of all <clears throat> paul had the right message g'day welcome we've just started paul had the right message okay who's got second corinthians 11 verses 3 and 4 Paul was concerned 
that someone else would come along and preach a different gospel uh, and they would just accept it. They would be uh, uh, seduced as Eve was. Okay? Paul is greatly concerned about the content of the gospel. Um, Galatians 1, 6 to 9. Ronald, tell you what. Um, Paul, very, very strong words there for someone who would preach another gospel. That is not another of the same kind, another of a different kind, okay, is the, the Greek there. Um, Paul was an effective evangelist because he held fast to the right message. Paul clearly held fast to the truths of the gospel and did not tolerate any variation of the gospel message. One of the reasons people are not effective in evangelism is because they're not sure about the content of the gospel. Um, and this is something we're going to come back to tonight, okay? This is going to be the major emphasis tonight, um, making sure that we understand what is the gospel message, the truth of the gospel. We'll come back to this. It's going to be our main point, but let's push on now. Paul, to begin with, he was an effective evangelist because he had the right message. He knew it. He could spot a phony, an imitation, a counterfeit a mile away. Had the right message. Secondly, he had a compelling motive. A compelling motive. Uh, who's got Second Corinthians 5? Thank you, Jeffrey. Verses 10 to 15. Okay, thank you. Uh, Paul understood that every Christian is going to ev eventually stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, not to be uh, judged for our sin because that's already been taken care of, but our life and what we've done for the Lord. Uh, those things are, are either good, uh, gold, silver, precious stones, as if we follow the analogy of 1 Corinthians 3, or bad, that is wood, hay, and stubble, okay, worthless things. And this was a great concern. To Paul, he understood that people would be rewarded for how faithful they served the Lord. And uh, Paul knew that he himself was accountable to God. And uh, for that reason, uh, he wanted to make his life count. Uh, that's why he says in verse 14, the love of Christ constrains us. Um, Paul um, understood that his uh, life had been redeemed by Christ 
Um, and that was a remarkable thing. You know, the chief of sinners, you know, how could he be saved? Uh, and the Lord had done a wonderful thing in his life. And that stirred up love in his heart for the Lord. And he wanted to spend his life serving the Lord and winning the lost. And that was a constraining thing for him because at the end of his life, he'd have to stand before the Lord. Um, Note immediately after he describes this judgment uh, seat for rewards, verse 10. Then he writes the following verse, verse 11. In light of that judgment, uh, he makes it the aim of his life to persuade men, to persuade men about the truth about Jesus. And so it's, he's motivated. Uh, he has a compelling motive because he knows he's going to stand before the Lord one day and give an account of his life. Uh, and he wanted that to be a, a joyful day, uh, not a, a, grieve, a, a, a day of regret. And so it is for us. Okay, let's not, just, let's, let's not just think that Paul's the only one who's going to stand before the Lord and give an account of his life. We all will. Um, and uh, this should be a compelling motive for us as well. Thirdly, number three, Paul had a divine call. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 16. Who's got that one? Thanks, Aaron. Okay, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. You know, not, it's not a way of condemnation. You know, I'm in fear of my eternal security. Uh, God has God has called me to do this, and and I'm ob obliged to do it. It's a necessity is laid upon me. It's a necessary thing. God had commissioned Paul to preach the gospel, take the gospel to the Gentiles, and Paul certainly had a, a sense of a divine call. Uh, to evangelize and, and and maybe maybe we don't sense the same divine call but the thing is we have the great commission okay we've got the great commission to go and preach the gospel to every creature and uh, so if we are listening to God's word then uh, again that there's there's pressure that comes upon us that way as well number four Paul had an eager boldness, an eager boldness. Our reference there is first is Romans 1.16. Perhaps you know it. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul is, Paul is confident. Okay? He's confident to proclaim the gospel because it does work. It's powerful. And that gives him tremendous boldness. Uh, Philippians 1.21, um, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's incredible boldness that enabled him to um, preach the gospel fearlessly. If he dies, that's a win for him. Such was his confidence in the Savior. Okay, number five, uh, a walk in the Spirit. Um, who's got Ephesians 5 verse 18? Thanks, Jarrell. Okay, Colossians 1 9. Okay, so uh, let's just take a couple more here while we're, while we're going. Our first, uh, first Thessalonians 5 verse 19. Good. <laughs> that's all right that's all right 
So, um, JC, it's good we put a Bible in your hand for that massive verse, wasn't it? <laughs> and Acts 13, verse 2. Okay, a couple of verses there. Let's put a few things together here. Paul was dependent upon the Holy Spirit's power and guidance. Okay, he lived his life. Uh, he knew what it was to be continually filled with the Spirit. Uh, he knew what it was, Colossians 1.9, to have his mind filled with the knowledge of God's will. He knew what God wanted him to do. Uh, and he's, the Spirit of God is, 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 fills his life, enabling him to do what he knows what God wants him to do. Uh, he had no pattern of unconfessed sin in his life. He wasn't perfect. Okay, we know that. Uh, there would have been times Paul needed to get things right with the Lord, but that was a, that was a, the sort of the um, the atmosphere of his, his life to 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 do, be constantly doing the will of God, filled with the Spirit of God, following the Spirit of God, um, walking in the Spirit, directed by the Spirit. He's on his evangelistic uh, journey. He's making his plans, but the Spirit of God says, "No, don't do that. Go here." He says, "Okay, no worries. We'll do that." Uh, this was what Paul was like in the, from the beginning of his life. Acts chapter 13, verse 2, when the Holy Spirit said, you know, separate Paul and Barnabas. These are men whose lives are directed by the Spirit of God. From that moment to the end of his life in martyrdom, all the way through, Paul experienced the power of the Spirit of God uh, working upon his life and through him. Again, this is this uh, same Spirit of God uh, infills us and is available to empower and guide us as well. Number six, Paul had a deliberate strategy. Uh, a reference there is Acts chapter 18. We won't look it up, but this is Paul going to Corinth. And Paul, when he went into Corinth, did what he did in most other places. He always go to the synagogue first if there was one there. This was his strategy. He would go to the synagogue first because um, he was accepted there. He was a Jew. Uh, they had a Bible, Old Testament scriptures, and this was great for Paul to evangelize. He could open the Old Testament and teach them about Jesus. They believed the Bible. That's a, that's a, that's a benefit. Okay? You get, at least you get started a conversation. Uh, and this was Paul's strategy. Always go to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. If the Jews shut him down, ran him out, they'd just go to the Gentiles. Sometimes you go to the synagogue, Jews would get saved. He'd get some co-workers there. Co-workers to help him with the evangelism amongst Jewish people and Gentile people wherever he went. This was Paul's strategy. You know, some people think that depending upon the Spirit of God means you don't have any strategy like this. You just do whatever the Spirit of God leads you to do without a strategy. <clears throat> well, to not have a strategy, that is a strategy, isn't it? <laughs> That's a strategy. We don't plan anything. Our strategy is not to plan anything. <clears throat> but Paul was filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit. But he also planned things pretty meticulously as well. Uh, again, all of his plans were subject to the Lord's sovereignty. Um, there was no problem. God had a better plan. Let's go with that. But Paul approached his evangelism deliberately and strategically. And uh, if we go out evangelizing with a strategy in mind, that's a good thing. The Lord might lead us otherwise. That's fine. But it's not irresponsible to plan. Paul did it. Now, um, number seven, um, he had an unwavering desire. Uh, who's got Romans 1, 14 and 15? Thanks, Jeff.
Okay, Paul understood himself to be a debtor to unsaved people. Um, he had something that they did not. Uh, he knew they desperately needed it. Uh, he felt obliged to share it with them. He felt like he was a man under obligation. I have the truth. You don't have it. I'm obliged to give it to you. Paul evangelized like a man in debt. Uh, and again, um, we ought not see ourselves as being any different. Okay, so there are, there are, let's just, you know, just, we're just surveying the scriptures here, gleaning. There's seven things there that uh, were impacts upon Paul's life that helped him to become an effective evangelist. But let's come back to this major point for this evening about having the right message to share with people. The right message. Let's turn over, please, to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Um, in, a, in, in a minute, just stay at the bottom. Just stay at the bottom for now. Um, we'll turn over in just a minute. Okay. 1 Corinthians 15. I'd like to read verses 1 to 5. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand by which also you're saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve. Okay, now... Um, we have there some facts of the gospel, not, not, not everything, but some facts of the gospel. And as we um, study the New Testament, we can, there are other elements of the gospel uh, which we can assemble. And what I've done for you on the bottom of the first page there, I've provided you with a, a definition of the gospel. That is going you know, here and there in the scriptures, pulling together things which provide with a succinct statement, eight phrases that uh, I think provide a fairly robust definition of the gospel. Now, it's got all blanks there, hasn't it? Okay, okay. Um, let me just, I will read through it and I'll give you the, I'll give you the fill in the blanks as we go. The gospel is the message. The gospel is a message. The gospel is the message of God's plan. The gospel is the message of God's plan and his work to blank something sinners save. There you go. The gospel is the message of God's plan and his work to save sinners from his wrath. wrath. Very good. It's the message of God's plan and his work to save sinners from his wrath and to bring them into a relationship with himself through the life death and 
resurrection of Jesus Christ and to offer that rescue to all who will turn from sin and trust in Christ. Now there's a fairly robust definition. It has been, if you look on the bottom of page three, little footnote there, that uh, the content that I'm about to share with you is adapted uh, from a book by James B. Carroll called Collateral Damage, uh, in which, surprisingly, I was very surprised uh, to, to find this uh, very helpful definition of the gospel, which I've modified just slightly um, for our purposes this evening. And we're going to unpack it in detail, each of those eight phrases. Uh, and I've given you very comprehensive notes, saturated in scripture. And I hope this will be a good resource for you. I'm sure it can be improved. And maybe that was something that you might do. Um, you know, work at um, coming up with a definition of the gospel, which, you know, is something that, you know, you've labored over to put together and you just know what the content of the gospel is. All right, so let's, let's unpack these eight phrases. Firstly, the gospel is a message. Okay, we're over the, over the page now. And there's plenty of blanks. Um, so uh, hopefully you can keep up. And if you can't, that's okay. We can, we, we'll come back. I've got an answer sheet here. I can lend you at the end. Or look on, look on with the person next to you. Um, this is not cheating. This is called helping one another. Um, firstly, the gospel is a message. It's a message from God to man revealed in the Bible. It is a specific message. And it is a good message. It's a good message. In fact, it's often called good news. Because it proclaims good tidings of great joy to all people. Luke chapter 2 verse 10. God intends the gospel message to be universally proclaimed. Okay, so for all people, God intends for the, the gospel message to be universally proclaimed and personally believed. Okay? Universally proclaimed to everyone, but it's got to be individually and personally believed. It's a message to be joyfully received. For it's the best news that a person can ever hear. Gospel is a message from God revealed in the Bible. Secondly, next phrase. The gospel is the good news of God's plan and his work. It's the good news of God's plan and his work. The message of the gospel begins with God. He is, he is a holy, righteous creator. He is eternal, meaning that he exists before all things. He is transcendent, meaning he is above and beyond all things. He is absolutely and perfectly holy, which means he is unparalleled in the majesty of his in incomparable being. He is blameless, faultless and unblemished in his moral purity. He is a holy God. Okay, and that is a, an essential element of the gospel. It's because of that that we are in such need, because we are unacceptable, unworthy 
to be in his presence. The gospel is his story. It's a holy God's story. It's the narrative. It's the one narrative he's been unfolding from could it be before the foundation of the world. And does anyone know what our reference there is? First Peter. Okay. Peter had some significant things to say about um, the gospel, content of the gospel. God is not reacting to man's whims or figuring it out as he goes along. God is working out his sovereign and meticulous plan. In the gospel, God's plan is announced. Otherwise, we wouldn't know about it. But the gospel isn't merely about the plan. It also tells how God works to accomplish his plan. He is not a mere bystander. He doesn't direct affairs from afar. God works to reveal his plan and to accomplish it. He is the author of the plan. And the one who works to bring it to pass. All right, third phrase. The gospel tells of God's plan and his work to save sinners. The gospel tells of God's plan and his work to save sinners. Because God is perfectly holy, he cannot commit or approve of evil. He's totally separate from sin, for he is of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look upon iniquity. And does anyone know what our reference is there? It's a key verse. I think you put it in your gospel arsenal. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13. God is of purer eyes than to behold evil. He cannot look upon iniquity. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13. Because, because all people without exception have sinned. Romans 3. We are unworthy and uh, to approach God and are cut off from his presence. But the good news of the gospel is that God should be is rescuing. God is rescuing men and women from their sinful condition. People are, as it were, and this might be a helpful illustration for you, people are, as it were, drowning in the sea of their rebellion against God. And he is reaching into the water to save them. Jesus said, I am not come to call the righteous, but to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, I've taken two verses there, put them together. Parts of two verses, Matthew 9, 13 and Luke 19, verse 10. According to the Bible, every person born on the earth has inherited a nature that is inclined to sin. Psalm 55, verse 5. Inherited a nature that is inclined to sin. We've been every person born. Fifty-one, big pun. Fifty-one, verse five. We've inherited a nature inclined to sin, and all people are will, willingly choose to rebel against God. We're sinners by nature, sinners by choice. Okay. Again, these are um, things which are self-evident, but they are significant in, in having gone for gospel conversations. We're sinners by nature. You have to teach children to, to do the wrong thing. They do it naturally. We all do it naturally. But we also choose to do the wrong things ourselves. From our earliest days, we shake our fists at our Creator, seeking to usurp control of our own lives. 
The gospel makes a strong statement about mankind, namely that we're all sinners and we stand in desperate need of rescue from our sins and its consequence. And its consequence. Fourthly, the gospel offers salvation from God's wrath. The consequence of our rebellion against God, of our rebellion is the wrath of God. Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. The wrath of God abides on us because of our sin. God's wrath is best understood as his holy and justified reaction against sin. Unlike human wrath, God's wrath is never out of control and never lacks wisdom. It is his directed, intense, righteous reaction to sin. The practical result of his wrath is death. Death. John 3.36, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Shall not see life, the wrath of God abides on him. Ezekiel 18 verse 4, another key verse. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. God's wrath against sin. We die physically as we pay the penalty of our sins. Romans 5 verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, all have sinned. We die physically as we pay the penalty of our sins, but we also die spiritually as we pay the penalty of our sins. Romans 6.23a, Ephesians 2 verse 5a, even when we were dead in sins, the wages of sin is death. The Bible describes this spiritual death as separation from God. Ephesians 2.12 Without hope and without God in the world. Separated from God. Ephesians 4.18 Being alienated from the life of God. The Bible describes spiritual death as separation from God. The reality of this separation will reach its horrible climax when God judges all people and brings everlasting punishment upon all who have continued in their rebellion. A couple of references there. The Bible calls the place where these people will suffer for eternity hell and describes it as a place of suffering. Luke 16, 24, the rich man um, who, and Lazarus, okay, that rich man, being in hell, lifted up, being his eyes being in torment. Uh, I am tormented in this flame. It's a place of suffering. It's a place of darkness. It's a place of unquenchable fire. So the gospel is the message of God's work to rescue or save people from his wrath, which they justly deserve because of sin. Fifth, the gospel tells of God's work to bring sinners into a right relationship with himself. 
The gospel tells of God's work to bring sinners into a right relationship with himself. Isaiah 59 verse 2 makes a clear and alarming proclamation about sin and its effect on a person's relationship with God. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you so that he will not hear. Again, another good Bible verse for your gospel arsenal. Isaiah 59 verse 2. We're not in a right relationship with God. We're, the relationship has been broken. We're separated because of sin. As sinners, we sit hopelessly under the condemnation of God's wrath, which separates us from him. Despite his great love for us, he will not and cannot overlook our sin. He cannot, he will not and cannot overlook our sin. And tarnishes perf perfection and justice. The gospel, though, is the good news of how God crossed this chasm created by our sin and is bringing sinners back to himself. Sixth, the gospel tells of the work of Jesus Christ. God works to save, sorry, God's work to save and God's work to save was accomplished through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. He is the only begotten Son of the Father, a full member of the Godhead. Yet he became flesh, lived as a human being. Okay, became flesh, 1 John 4, 1 John 1, 4, John 1, 14. Lived as a human being, Philippians 2, providing us with the only way of salvation. Thus, the gospel story centers on Jesus and his work. Through his human life, Jesus condescends to our level while satisfying God's standard perfectly. He lived a life of perfect righteousness, which we never could. Then he dies a sacrificial death upon the cross in our place, bearing God's wrath for us and making an atonement for our sin through the shedding of his sinless blood. Shedding of blood for an atonement. What's a reference there? 17.11. Leviticus 17.11. Again, another important verse. The life of the flesh is in the blood. I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your soul. It's a blood that makes atonement for the soul. Pastor Wendem used to say, the blood is the only cleansing agent for sin. 1 Peter 1, again, we were dealing with the precious blood of Christ. Jesus died the death that we deserved. Again, Peter, 1 Peter 3.18. Christ also once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Jesus died the death that we deserved. He, the just one, died for we unjust ones. But he could not be held by death. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, as a proof. He rose from the dead as a proof that his sacrificial death for sinners was accepted by the Father. His resurrection, in his resurrection, Jesus announced victory over sin and death and hell and foreshadowed the full and final statement of victory that is coming, 1 Corinthians 15. 20 to 28. You could also put Romans 8 in there. 
uh, talks about the a time when creation will be delivered from the bondage of corruption when the, the Lord Jesus comes back. Number seven, seventh phrase. The gospel story tells of what Jesus accomplished for us through his sinless life, atoning death, glorious resurrection, but it doesn't stop there. The story includes an offer of invitation. It includes an offer of invitation. The gospel message announces a solution to the deepest problem of our soul, our separation from God because of sin. It offers to everyone forgiveness of sin, reconciliation to God, eternal life in heaven. But this salvation cannot be earned by our own efforts. God offers it freely to all through his grace. Grace being God's unmerited favour towards us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. The gift of salvation is, should be in there, is freely offered to all. However, it, sorry I missed that out too, however, it must be received by faith. Which brings us to our, the final phrase, number eight. The gospel invites a person to trust, to trust the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. This faith is not mere mental assent. Instead, it's best understood as a heart response of faith and repentance that is turning, turning from sin to Christ. And trusting in Christ for salvation. Okay, it's like the two sides of the one coin. We turn from our sin to Christ and we trust in Christ for salvation. Repentance is a change of mind resulting in a change of direction. Okay, it's not just mental assent. It's a change of mind resulting in a change of direction. It's an aspect of saving faith. For faith in Jesus Christ for salvation is life-altering, causing us to rely solely on his work to deal with our sin and to follow him in obedience. He says, repent and believe the gospel. Okay? The ability to do that is in the command. Okay? The ability is in the command. It's like the man with the withered hand. Uh, Jesus said, stretch forth your hand. He said, like, how can I do that? The ability is in the command. And so it is, repent and believe the gospel. How can we do that? The, the ability is in the command. This active faith is, by me, is the means, is the means by which God appropriates salvation. The work of Jesus to... It says cover there, um, that's, that's the atonement concept, but what Jesus did is more than that, it's a blotting out, okay? The work of Jesus to blot out our sin. The work of Jesus to blot out our sin and to re-establish our relationship with God is only applied to persons who trust fully in him. When a person places his faith in Jesus, God applies his work to that person and saves him from sin and its eternal consequences. 
by God's wisdom and providence, he used the proclamation of this gospel to draw people to faith in Christ that sets them free from his wrath. Romans 10, 17 states most clearly the wonderful promise. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we preach this gospel because by it, people believe and are saved. Now that is a fairly comprehensive unpacking of that uh, substantial extended sentence which uh, defines the gospel. The gospel is the message of God's plan and his work to save sinners from his wrath and to bring them into a relationship with himself through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the offer of that rescue to all who will turn from sin and trust in Christ. Now, I hope that becomes a, a helpful resource for you. And uh, again, you might want to, um, as you're reading your own your, your Bible yourself, you might be wanting to be add other scriptures there, or perhaps you know modifying some uh, phrases there. Um, just in your own handling of the gospel, uh, that would be a profitable exercise. All right, now let's just um, come to the gospel described. Just a, just a brief summary, a brief summary here, some major points. Okay, a lot of information there. Let's just reduce, reduce it down to a few major points. Number one, the gospel is a plan. Okay, the gospel is a plan. It's God's plan. Okay. When Paul articulated some certain facts of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, what do you say? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Okay. It was predicted in the Old Testament that Jesus would die and rise again. God planned it. Okay. God planned it way back then. In fact, God planned it before the foundation of the world, Peter tells us. Okay. The gospel is a plan. It's God's plan. Secondly, the gospel is an event in history. It's an event in history. Christ died the third day according to the scripture. He rose again. Christ died according to the scripture. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. An event that happened in history. Thirdly, the gospel is an achievement. The gospel is an achievement. You see, in and, in and through that event, something happened between the Father and the Son that has great significance for us. Okay? Between the Father and the Son, all of our sin was laid on Jesus Christ. And in doing that, also the righteousness of God was displayed. How so? Jesus was obedient unto death. He was obedient unto death. Therefore, it was a perfect obedience that was achieved. It was a perfect offering that was made. It's a perfect offering price that was paid. And so this salvation was achieved. All of our sin going to Jesus. All of his righteousness can come to us by virtue of what Jesus did on the cross. Dying for our sin there on the cross. Rising again the third day. The gospel is an achievement. And that achievement was extended as an offer to the world as a free gift. 
That's the fourth thing. The gospel is an offer. It's offered, this achievement is offered to the world as a free gift. If the offer wasn't free, then it would there be no gospel because it wouldn't be good news. If it were by works instead of faith, there'd be no gospel. It wouldn't be good news. So the gospel is a plan. It's an event. There is an achievement in that event. And there is a free offer to be received by faith alone. Free gift to be received by faith alone. Then comes number five, the application of that achievement. The gospel is an application of the achievement and its offer. Okay, they're not the same. God did something in history for me, even before I had any knowledge of it. He achieved it. Jesus died on the cross, made salvation possible. But now I hear the good news of what Jesus has done for me in Christ. Now by faith I receive that offer and I am forgiven. And now by faith I'm justified. Okay, the achievement is applied to me. It's an essential part of the gospel. For if it's not applicable, it doesn't work. If it's not applicable, it's not good news. So the good news includes the fact that there is the application of the achievement that does secure my forgiveness. And number six, the gospel is the accomplishment of its ultimate goal. And that is to bring us to God. First Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. The just for the unjust. Uh, sorry, I missed that. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Reconciliation to God is the ultimate purpose of forgiveness and reconciliation. Okay? Forgiveness is not the end. Okay? What forgiveness does is it takes away our sins so that we can come to God. Justification is not the end. Justification declares us righteous so that we can come to God. Heaven and a perfect body are not the end. What are they? Heaven is the place where we can be with a perfect God. A, 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 a new body is a body that's necessary for us so that we can live with God forever. These are all means to this ultimate end of bringing us to God. So there's uh, six points, six major aspects there. There's a brief summary. To conclude, let's just nail it down to some essential elements of the gospel. Okay. What are the essential elements to include? We've, uh, we're, <coughs> we hope to have evangelistic conversation, whether we're knocking on doors or we, we, we're trying to set up a conversation with someone. 
uh, or a work colleague, you know, conversation is going to happen somewhere sometime. We just want to be ready for it. You know, what, what, are the, what are the essential things to include as we seek to share the gospel? We're thinking, I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to share certain information. What, what is the irreducible minimum? What have I got here? Number uh, four or five? Five. Number one. A true understanding of God. Okay, We've got to share a true understanding of God. One God, three persons, the Trinity. It's not the God of the Muslim. Okay, It's not Islam's God. It's not the Mormon's God. It's not Jehovah's Witnesses' God. It's the God of the Bible. God, three in one. And he is holy. Okay, okay. This is very important. Okay, It's not just that he's loving. Okay. The fact is he is holy and therefore this is why we have the problem. This is why we have the problem. We are unacceptable to God. We cannot get anywhere near. We're separated from him. We're under condemnation from a holy God. Number one, a true understanding of God. He is a holy God. Number two, an accurate understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. The only Saviour. The eternal Son came to the world, took on himself human form, born of a virgin, fully man, fully God, lived a sinless life, fulfilled all righteousness, so that that could be credited to the person who believes in Jesus, died a substitutionary death, so that all of our sin could be imputed to him. The substitutionary atoning death of Jesus. Very, very important. Jesus died on the cross, lived a perfect life, died an atoning death. An accurate understanding of the person and work of Jesus. Thirdly, an acknowledgement of the death and resurrection of Christ. What's it say in Romans? If we believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved, okay? We've got to cover that material. Jesus died on the cross for us and he rose again. He died according to the scriptures. He rose again according to the scriptures. Essential facts of the gospel. Number four, confession of sin and a willingness to repent. There must be an agreement with God about our sin. A turning away from sin, a turning to Christ to save us. There must be a recognition of one's sinfulness that drives us to the Saviour. That's the role that the law plays. The law reveals sin. It's like a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Christ is our only deliverer. Only Christ can deliver us from the sin's penalty and its power one day from its prayer. Sin's presence. There's got to be an understanding that we are sinners and sin is the problem that we have to be rid of. And the only way that can happen is through the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in Christ. Number four, an understanding that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. It's not faith plus works, not faith plus morality, it's not place plus the sacraments. It's not faith plus church membership, it's faith alone. 
For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So there's some essential elements which I think are, I was going to say the irreducible minimum. Maybe, maybe we can reduce it down to four things. Okay, four things. God, man, Christ, and response. God is holy. Man is sinful. Christ is our only hope of salvation. And the response is to receive Christ. John 1, 12. As many as received him, to them gave you the power. Okay, it's got, so maybe they're the four main headings we've got to cover. Okay? God, man, Christ, response. A holy God, man is a sinner. Christ is the only saviour. We have to respond to Jesus Christ, repenting and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, All right, there's your ammunition. So. Anyway, hopefully that uh, is helpful. Uh, Paul became a very, very good evangelist and one of the reasons why he had the right message. So let's labour to get the gospel into our heads and into our hearts. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the scriptures. Um, which contain the wonderful message of the gospel. And uh, Lord, truly, this is good news. Uh, it's a wonderful story revealed in the scriptures. And we thank you that the gospel is the power of God under salvation to everyone who believes, Jew or Gentile. Thank you that uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And thank you for the gospel which has saved us. Thank you for the righteousness of Christ which is imputed to us. And uh, Lord, having saved us, we thank you that uh, you've uh, also given us the privilege of uh, having the gospel to share with others. And uh, Lord, I do pray that you would help us to uh, uh, be better equipped uh, to be able to do that. Uh, Lord, there's learning here for us all. And uh, Lord, I do pray that we would... Uh, uh, so saturate ourselves uh, with the, the truths of the gospel, with the facts of the gospel, um, how various aspects, uh, essential parts of the gospel message and the work that you've done for us. Uh, thank you for the, the, the genius of the gospel, the wisdom of God, which is here. Some people think it's foolishness, but in it we see the, the wisdom of God and the power of God. And uh, Lord, we're humbled uh, to rehearse the glorious uh, gospel truths this evening. Uh, again, we thank you for it, and uh, we pray that you might uh, help us to share it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat>